Man, thanks so much for joining us here this morning, everybody. We welcome you to East Brainerd. If this is your first time with us, man, we're so excited that you are here. We ask that if you wouldn't mind, uh, you'll see in front of you, there's a little blue little card, and it says text CONNECT to 423-455-5530. We encourage you to do that. You'll get a response back, and then you'll be able to um, just give us a little information. We'd greatly appreciate that, and we appreciate so much you being here. I have to say that I'm surprised that there is anybody in these first couple of rows. After last week's analogy about living in the sweet spot, and I... Um, I had this little t-ball set up here, and I was trying to demonstrate about what life with God is, is like. And I'm glad that some of you brought your catcher's gear this week. That, that is great. And we have, to, we have to give props to Steve Ramey. Steve Ramey made an MVP play last week. Yes, he did. I mean, uh, th there were a few who were behind him uh, that thought that their life was just going to flash there in front of their eyes as that ball came. And all of a sudden, man, Steve's hands went up. It was like a jackalope. I mean, boom. I mean, he had it right there. I mean, it was all-star week, and Steve showed himself uh, to definitely to be, to be an MVP. And so that, that was awesome. Hey, we are talking about living in the sweet spot, and it is that analogy about finding that optimal point on the bat where the ball just looks huge and the bat can't miss, and everything in life just seems to fall into place. Spiritually, it is, when, it is when your prayers are flowing and, and it's when that you are devouring and feasting on Scripture. It is when your service is intentional. It is, it is that time where you recognize God and He is your sovereign and you are submitting and you are surrendering to Him and the life that you are living. You begin to understand, wow, there's something, there's something different about this. There's something special about it. There's something... There's something sweet that's about it. So what we have done, we have gone into our Old Testament, and we have dug deep into a journal written that's called Joshua. If you would like to find that in your Old Testament, I encourage you to do so. Either open up your Bible, pull out your phone, get out that Bible app, find, find Joshua, and we're going to be there. We're going to be there again, again today as we talk about a couple of things together. We're all about trying to find that, that sweet spot, and enjoy the joy that is a promised land life. And, and it's a life where we're more than conquerors. It's a life where, where we don't lose heart. It's a life where even when we're going through difficulties and problems, we consider it joy because of the relationship that we have with God. Christ's love controls us and compels us in this life. It's a life where we're not anxious for anything. It's a life where... We are continually in prayer, and it's a life where we do everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. A life where, you know what, if, if I'm offended, then I quickly forgive as, as quickly as the offense comes. It's a life where I delightfully serve out of my, my giftedness. It's a life where even though I'm going to stumble, I'm not going to collapse. It's living in the sweet spot and living with God. It's what it's all about. And so all summer, I've been trying to convince you, if you've been with us and, or watching online or, or, or listening via our podcast, I've been trying to convince us all that the best days with God are ahead of us. That our best days with God are, are still out there. That, that all the things that we've been talking about and even more can still be yours. It can be mine as we choose to do life with God. 
And I've heard from some of you, and, uh, and you've said, you know what? I, I tell you, th this, this message series has been very encouraging, and it's been motivating at the thought of, of strength and prosperity returning to my spiritual life. But I've also heard from some of you, and I want to acknowledge you today, individuals who have actually been discouraged by this study. You see, some who are here this morning, some who are watching, some who will listen later on in the week, just cannot get past the belief that God's promised land is for only a chosen few. A sweet spot with God? Perhaps it's for him, or maybe it's for her, but it's not for me. Because I'm too, I'm just too messed up, or I'm too dirty, or I'm too afflicted. I sin too much, I, I stumble too often, and <laughs> man, I just struggle too long. And Chris, I, I've heard the things that you've talked about, and this whole idea of a promised land life, and, and how our best days are ahead of us, but I just, really, I just really doubt that. I don't know if there can be a sweet spot for me. See, what I've seen is that too many followers and too many seekers live in what the French refer to as ennui. It's a state of listlessness and, and boredom. Some define this word as, as treading water, where you're merely trying to survive spiritually. But there's no direction in your life. There, there's no purpose. And, and yet something just keeps nagging, and something just keeps pulling you back. And so you feel like, well, you drive by a church building, and you, and you think, you know what, next week, that's where I need to be. Maybe that's why you're here today. Or maybe there's a soothing hymn that keeps coming back and, and going through your mind. Something that, something that your mama used to sing. Something you remember your grandfather teaching you. It's a random scripture that for some reason you just keep on. It just keeps on coming to the forefront of your mind. But you occasionally sit surrounded by worshipers wondering why you can't feel the way that they do. We sing... Magnify the Lord with me. And you're looking around and you're seeing the faces and, and you'd give anything if you could have that feeling. But you just can't be sure. And you just can't seem to find the hope that it seems that others have. And you wonder, why can't I get excited about God like other people get excited about God? And maybe you've even felt like a hypocrite for even bothering to listen to some of my messages. A sweet spot with God? It's not for me. You know, if I'm describing you this morning, or if I'm describing something that your children have said to you, or if I'm describing something that you've heard somebody at work talk about over lunch, you see, if you've come to the conclusion that the joy of a promised land life is for a chosen group that you are not a part of, then I want to ask you to do me a favor today. Will you allow me just a few minutes to challenge that thinking? And if someone asks you today to, to listen to this, if you had a family member or if you had a friend that said, hey, would you just go and listen to this message that that was shared at, at East Brainerd this last week. Then, then if you're running right now, or if, you are, if you're just driving through town, I appreciate so much you listening. And just sit for a moment and think, 
Allow, allow some of the things that I say perhaps to, to challenge this thinking that you have that, that a life with God and a life close with Jesus, that's just something that, that others enjoy, but for whatever reason it is forfeit to you. Now understand, if you're with us today and, and you're all about living in the sweet spot with God, I want you to know that this lesson is not for you. All right? You ever heard a preacher say that? You ever heard a preacher say, hey, this, this lesson isn't, isn't for you? This lesson is for those who doubt their place among the people of God. But look, I don't want the majority of my audience this morning just to zone out on me. Um, even though I know you can insert the joke here about, well, what would be different this week than others, Chris, right? Um, but I heard, I heard about a young preacher one time. He had a hard time keeping his audience awake during lessons. And so he went to a wise, retired pastor and asked, what was the secret of holding an audience's attention during a message while he was preaching? And the older minister said, well, you know what? When I would see that the congregation had had about all that they could take and they began to start to, to drift off and to sleep, then all of a sudden I would pound on the podium that was in front of me and I would say that the best years of my life were spent in the arms of another man's wife. And that would usually wake everybody up, he said. And then he would say, my mother, and then continue on with the message. Now the young preacher thought this was great advice. And so sure enough, the next Sunday came, and as the young man got deeper and deeper into his presentation, one by one, members of the congregation just began to succumb to sleep. And so with half the congregation snoring and the other half beginning to nod off, he slammed his hand on the podium that was in front of him, and he declared the best years of his life were spent in the arms of another man's wife. And the congregation bolted awake. And he had never had such focused attention before during one of his messages. And the anxiety and the stress with all those eyes on him was too much. And so he said, and for the life of me, I cannot remember her name. <laughs> Friends, the best years of your life with God are ahead of you. So stay with me for a few minutes. Stay with me for a few minutes, no matter who you are. And let me tell you about a woman named Rahab. Rahab gets an entire chapter in Joshua's journal, right there at the front. She gets more ink than any of the priests, than any of the spies, than Joshua's second in command. I mean, if you count quality and quantity and placement, if it means anything in theology, then the prominent position of Rahab's story announces that God has a place for the Rahabs of the world. It's in chapter 2 of the, of the text. It's where her story begins. It says, Joshua, son of Nun, secretly sent two men as spies from the Acacia Grove, saying, go scout out the land, and especially Jericho. So they left, and they came to the house of a woman, a prostitute named Rahab, and they stayed there. Now, if this is the first time you've been reading about Rahab, you need to understand there's a lot that can be said about her without ever mentioning her profession. As you continue to read through Joshua, you're going to find out that she hid the spies that Joshua sent out, that she actually survived the destruction of Jericho. She would later be accepted into the Israelite community. She would go on to marry a contemporary of Joshua. She would be the great-great-grandmother of King David. And her name will even appear in the family lineage of Jesus Christ as you read through Matthew's gospel. I mean, there's really no need to mention that, that she was in the business of sexual mischief. 
And yet five out of the eight times her name is found in scripture, she is described by her occupation. Now, wouldn't one time just be enough? <laughs> I mean, really. I mean, I mean, wouldn't just having it in there once have, have, have been fine? Mention it here in chapter 2. Let us get the picture of her. Uh, all right, fine. We know what kind of woman that she was. But after that, you can just call her an innkeeper. Or, or you can call her a hostess or something. But no need to keep bringing up what everybody already knows. Now, many of you have this same feeling. You know what it's like to carry a stigma. Each time your name is mentioned, a descriptor is included. Hey, there's Philip. You know he's gay, right? Have you heard from Stacy lately? I can't believe she had that affair. We got a letter from John today. I guess he's still an alcoholic. I saw Amy today. I didn't know she was out of jail, did you? It's like a pesky sibling. Like a pesky sibling, your choices just follow you wherever you go. And you wonder, is there anybody that will ever see me without the label? Is there any gonna, ever going to be a time where people are just going to let it go? And yet you read through scripture and the Bible just does the opposite. It flashes a neon sign on Rahab. And even in the New Testament, when the author of the Hebrews roll call of faith there in chapter 11 starts talking about all these individuals who are known for their faithfulness to God, he says, well, there's Abel and there's Noah and there's Abraham and there's Isaac and Jacob and Joseph and Moses. All of these dudes are mentioned. And that, and then he gets to verse 31. And it says, Rahab, the prostitute, in case you forgot. There's no footnote. There's no apology. Why is scripture, why does it seem so intent on reminding us that Rahab had, to put it mildly, a checkered past? Why is it that we know her by her sin? Could it be because her sin is part of her story? Could it be because her trespass is part of her testimony? And friends, could it be the same for you? Instead of allowing your spiritual missteps and mistakes to be the final word of your story, why not allow the sin that you and perhaps others recognize be merely part of your story? How, how about adopting an I was, but now I am philosophy of life? Think about that for a minute. I was on drugs but now I'm clean. I was on the streets, but now I'm on my feet. I was controlled by my lust, but now I am controlled by God's Spirit. I was selfish, but now I'm generous. I was angry, but now I'm peace-filled. I was prideful, but now I am humble. I don't care if you're here this morning or, or, or listening somewhere else. You need to understand that your sin is only part of your story. And your faith is the other half. In the Hebrews writing that I mentioned earlier, it says this about Rahab in chapter 11 and verse 31. It says, By faith Rahab the prostitute did not perish with those who were disobedient. Because she had given a friendly welcome 
to the spies. Now, get that. Prostitute Rahab was also faithful Rahab. You see, when the Israelite spies arrived at her door, she, she hid them from her countrymen because she had read the prevailing winds. She said, I know the Lord has given you this land. That's what she told them. She said, for, for we have heard how the Lord made a dry path for you through the Red Sea, and, and we know what you did to the two Amorite kings east of the Jordan River. No wonder, she says, our hearts have melted in fear. And she adds, for the Lord your God is the supreme God of the heavens, above and the earth below. You see, she concluded that the God of the Hebrew slaves was mightier than the deities worshipped by the people of Jericho. And so she made this observation, and then she decided to make a deal. It's there in your Bibles, Joshua chapter 2 and verse 12. She says, now then, please swear to me by the Lord that you will show kindness to my family because I have shown kindness to you. She says, I saved your necks. Now I, I expect for you to save mine. Anybody else see how her decision is just dripping with self-preservation right here? I mean, what kind of faith is that, maybe the religious among us would ask? Well, it's the same kind of faith that some of you have. A faith that says, God, if you will let me get through this, if you will let me see one more day, then I'm going to turn this thing around. A faith that says, God, I've never been a praying man, but I do not know what else to do. A faith that says, I don't have all the answers, and I don't understand theology like others do, and I'm pretty sure that my life decisions don't line up too well with your expectations. But when given the choice of alternatives that I see in society, I choose the God of the Hebrews. And in turn... Oh, God, I hope you choose me. Now, some religious people might not think much of that definition of faith. But you need to know something, that it directly aligns with the words of Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 6. Where it says, without faith, it is impossible to please God. Because anyone who comes to him, now notice this, anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly and desperately seek him. You see, Rahab was counting that there was reward coming for her. And her faith was rewarded. When the Israelites attacked Jericho, we are told that Joshua spared Rahab the prostitute. There it is again. Spared her with her family and all who belonged to her. It says because she hid the men Joshua had sent as spies to Jericho. And then notice what it says afterwards. It says, and she lives among the Israelites to this day. As, as pen was being put to paper, a reminder was being given to anyone who might need to be reminded, hey, remember, that over there, if, if you turn left by, by Josiah's tent and you go a little bit further, you're going to find Rahab's place. Because she's living here with us. See, she took a chance based on the rumors she had heard about the God of a foreign people. 
And as a result, she and all of her family enjoyed life in God's promised land. Friends, there is nothing wrong with expecting a reward from God. He promises there's going to be one. Now, there's a passage of Scripture you've probably heard all of your life, but you maybe have thought that perhaps it's not for you, or maybe you thought, well, I, I don't, didn't see the reward. But this is what it says in John chapter 3, verse 16. This is how God showed his love to the world. He gave his one and only Son, so that everyone who believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. It continues in verse 17. God has sent his Son to the world, not to judge the world, but to save the world through him. Do you understand that God promises to reward everyone who chooses him with a promised land life? That's the promise. And I'm so glad that in that text, I'm so glad that it says everyone because otherwise I could take my name out of there. I mean, I could read that and I could say, well, you know what? He gave his one and only son so that, well, I could put your name in or I could put this church group in or I could put that person but it says everyone. The opportunity is there. You see, that's right. It's even prostitutes and alcoholics and drug abusers and homosexuals and adulterers and the liars and the stealers and the yellers and the cursers and the materialistic. Everyone can enjoy living in the sweet spot with God. And look, before... Before you want to object, let me share with you the words written to a people who indulged in every sin in the book. Do not be deceived, Paul told believers living in this pagan culture that was Corinth. No sexually immoral people, idolaters, adulterers, or anyone practicing homosexuality, no thieves, greedy people, drunkards, verbally abusive people, or swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. You know, God doesn't look at your sin and mine and say, hey, you know what? It's no big deal. It's just how I made you. It's your struggle. Live how you want to live. Do whatever you want to do. No, God says, look, your sin is a big deal. And it's such a big deal that my son gave his life for that sin. So that I could keep you and you could do life with me. You see, God expects his people to reflect his holiness. It's an expectation that God has. Rahab could not have continued to live among the Israelites while continuing her past profession. So Paul says, look, you can't, you can't be a part of the kingdom if you're just determined to live for yourself. That's not it. But then he says, and some of you used to be like this. He says, this is what you used to be. This is what you used to run after. This is what you used to participate in. This is how you used to look at life. He said, it's who you were. It's part of your testimony. It's part of your story. But it's not the whole story. He says, because you were washed, and you were sanctified, and you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, and by the Spirit of our God. Friends, hear me clearly. Everyone who is wrestling with a sin that, that you believe denies you a sweet spot with God. Maybe, maybe you have been labeled like Rahab, the prostitute. And you're known as Cindy, the adulterer. Or Craig, the homosexual. Sam, the pornographer. 
Lisa, the alcoholic. Philip, the cheater. Katie, the embezzler. Hear me. Listen. Listen. No matter your sin, the best years of your life are meant to be spent in the arms of God. Because Scripture says this is a trustworthy saying, and everyone should accept it. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. To save sinners. That's me. And that's you. So don't let your sin struggles be the final word in your story. You, you see, that's kind of where we end up setting oftentimes. We allow the sin that's in our life, the sin that we know about and the sin perhaps that others point out, we allow that to become our identifier, and we allow that to be the end of the story, period. Nothing else written. Close the book. It's all over. There's no hope. And yet that's not the story of Scripture. Sin is only part of your story. And we all have that part in the book that's being written about us. But there's more. So allow your faith Allow your doubting, allow your deal-making, self-serving faith to have the final say so that you can go, you know what, I was, but now I am. Isn't that the message that we all want to be able to share? You see, it turns out today's lesson is for everyone. See, today's lesson is for everybody. Everybody that's here and everybody that's watching online and everybody who listens this week and, and, and later on, there is no one who is not a Rahab and in need of rescue by a merciful God. So here's what I want to ask. I want to ask you to choose God. I want to ask you to choose God and to let God reward you for choosing him. Let him reward you with salvation. Let him reward you with peace about your past. Let him reward you with hope for your future. Let him reward you with confidence to face the temptations that still you battle with today. See, the promised land life is for you. And it's for you. And it's for you, and it's for you, and it's for you. It's like you, 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 everybody. It's for a chosen people. And the good news is, God has chosen everyone. He's just waiting for you. And you, and you listening to me right now, he's waiting for you to choose him. So friends, if, if you've been the one that's labeled and been labeled. If you're the one who has felt that because of sin that you have committed in your past or because of sinfulness that you engage in in the present that you cannot enjoy this sweet spot with God, will you choose him today? Will you choose him over your fear? Will you choose him over your lust? Will you, will you choose him over the uncertainty? Will, will you choose him over your family? Will you choose him over your friend group? 
Will you choose him over the little voices that, that whisper in your head and say you, you can't make it any other way? Will you choose him today? It doesn't matter if you've been divorced. It doesn't matter if you struggle with lust, whether heterosexually or homosexually. It doesn't matter if you struggle with substance abuse. It doesn't matter if gossip is your sin. It doesn't matter if it's greed. It, it doesn't matter if it's your anger, your temper. Whatever it is that you think this denies me, you're wrong. And the cross says so. Go back and read the story of Rahab. See how she was brought into the family of God. Sin's only part of your story. It doesn't have to be the whole. And so we're going to sing today a song that's called Just As I Am. And we're going to sing this song together and we want you to know that if, if you are willing to come to God just as you are, okay, that we're going to start something back today that we haven't done in a while. And I'm going to ask just for you to come forward and to, maybe you need prayers. Maybe, maybe you need to be baptized into Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Maybe you just need to come here and to shed some tears. Maybe you just need to come and say, I really need somebody to know that I choose God today. I'm going to ask if our, our elders, our, our shepherds will come forward at this time. And, and if you guys would just um, stand here along the front. And as we sing together just as I am, I encourage you to come just as you are with your sin and with your pain and choose God as we stand and give him praise.